Hey Church family, Pastor Chad here, July 12th. Um, sorry for those who tried to join us online this morning at 10 a.m. on Facebook or YouTube. We had some technical difficulties and um, I felt like it was too important of a word to just say, oh well, technology failed us. So I'm going to try to give a, a abbreviated, um, but <clears throat> all of the the central sort of things we looked at this morning in the Word as we continue to look through John chapter 9 that we started last week of the man who was born blind. Jesus uh, gets down into the dirt and, and uses his spit, makes some mud, puts it on the guy's eye, and then he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so just check out the podcast or our Facebook page. Um, or YouTube for last week's message, part one. I'm going to continue the conversations here um, today. On the next episode, we find this man who was healed by Jesus. He didn't know hardly anything about Jesus, except for when he obeyed his word, there was power released that opened his born blind from eye, blind eyes from birth. When he obeyed the words of this man, Jesus, something happened to his life. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't have the A through Zs on his Christology figured out or the perfect doctrine, but his life was changed. We find sort of that first line of questioning is from his contemporaries, from his friends, right there in the first part of John chapter 9. And in our passage today, we find that that, that committee grows larger investigating this miracle that's taken place in his life. They they bring in the religious experts, the Pharisees, and we'll just read the scripture and make a few points, and then we'll close together. So John chapter 9, starting with verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him now how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he'd been born blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who'd been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, 
I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You're this fellow's disciple? We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord and the beautiful gospel of Jesus. Thanks be to God. This story is just pregnant with, with powerful um, springboards into greater investigation and conversation about what is happening in this man and around this man and in the Pharisees' hearts and minds and his parents' hearts and minds. And, and the, the, the first point I just want to draw out as we begin is this story lifts up um, really a great desperate need for our time and that is this we are in a cultural moment where there are a thousand opinions voices causes that are being raised um, from every angle on your social media feed and you're watching the news uh, it's all around us people's opinions and ideas and ideologies and and what's so important I want to lift up in this passage is this this man who was born blind, he, you know, it, it looks like he was a he was a beggar. He didn't go to the right school. He didn't get trained in all the proper perfect theology and the A three Zs of of uh, doctrine. But he had an encounter with the power of Jesus. And friends, if there was ever a need today to not settle just for a cognitive confessional faith, those are absolutely essential and important. But this man had an encounter. He had a testimony. And I'm just here to tell you today that, that, that our, your arguments, my arguments will never be enough. We'll never be eloquent enough. We'll never be smart, gifted, or talented enough. Nothing replaces the essential and desperately needed uh, dynamic happening in our time than God releasing his power through the glory of his son at the preaching, proclamation, and embodiment of the gospel of his son, Jesus. 
that God, it says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this man, you, you see, he, he dances, you know, on three or four different occasions when he's asked, who healed you? Who healed you? How did he heal you? How did he heal you? He starts in, in, in verse uh, 8 through 11, the man they call Jesus. He didn't know anything. He didn't even see the one who healed him until the end of the story. He'd only heard his name and he obeyed what his word said. And then later on, the, the, the Pharisees like, tell us again, who do, who do you think this guy is? It's your eyes he opened. He's a prophet. Um, true. And then they go further and they question, like, there's no way this guy's from God because he heals you on the Sabbath. He's not, he's not obeying and abiding by our system. And then he's like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I just know my eyes that were blind are open and I can see. And then finally, you know, when he gets drilled and ra you know railed again, it's 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 uh, right here at the at the middle of our passage. He he says, it's remarkable that you think this guy's a sinner. So he really zeroes in on and and, and grows in, in clarity because of the resistance he's facing, and the testing and the accusations and the questions. He's like. There's no way this guy could do anything if he wasn't from God. God doesn't listen to the, to, the, to the prayer and the cry of those who are habitually moving away from him, who are sinners, he calls them, but to the godly person who does his will. And so, like the further in, this blind man whose eyes have been opened through the sheer power of Jesus and obedience to his word, like his clarity grows the further he goes. If there was ever a need for the church to step into that space and place in our cultural moment, not to scramble to try to be relevant or to change, you know, get a different PR strategy or to change our message. It's, it's this, beloved, the gospel still has power to save. What God has done in and through Jesus still opens blinded eyes today. That even when you're tested and tried by the religious experts around you or the culture or your friend or your roommate or your spouse or your friend or your colleague or coworker or your neighbor, nothing will ever replace the essential need to have a testimony. Now, that does not mean you've had to have seen the heavens parted or heard the audible voice of God, but that you have by faith received for yourself the merits of Christ's redemptive love, that you've put your trust in him, that, that you've obeyed his word, John 5, 24, and you've crossed over from death to life, that you've tasted the bread, you've drank from the cup, that you have put your trust that the living water of Jesus has quenched your thirsty soul. Nothing will ever be able to replace the power of a testimony. And we see that in this man's story, that he's He's drilled by the religious experts, by the, the sort of the zealous, like totally devoted to moral purity and righteousness by the law. He is drilled and grilled from people who are way smarter, who've studied way longer, who know way more facts and truths and doctrines about what they perceived it meant to be uh, and belong to the people of God. But what they didn't have was a simple encounter with the grace and transforming love and power with Jesus. This man had what they could not study themselves into. And that, that is a touch from Jesus. And if there was ever a need for you or for I to go back to the basics of 
the great exchange where we bring our brokenness, we bring our blindedness, we, bl we bring our barrenness, we, we bring that and we confess it, we lay it before the Lord Jesus and we receive his word of cleansing, his word of healing, his word of redemption and salvation. That's point number one, is, is that there's, there's a difference between just knowing something cognitively, epistemology, the, the theory of knowing, and ont ontologically knowing something. It's, it's changed your being. Something happened that your life is different. You don't just think different. You are different. You were blind, but now you see. And oh, beloved, I, I pray that the gospel would grab a hold of your heart as you're watching this or listening to this um, on a treadmill or on, on your commute to work or whatever you're doing, listening to this podcast, is that the glory and the reality of the gospel would seize your heart again, that you'd, re, you'd be reminded that, that the gospel word, Galatians chapter 3, that the, that the Lord releases his spirit when Christ is seen as clearly crucified. He releases his miraculous resurrection life and power when the grace of God, Colossians chapter 1, is understood and experienced firsthand, that it changes our lives, that we are brought from the kingdom of darkness, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, and we're established into the kingdom of his son, his beloved, in the kingdom of light. That this is, God is still doing this all over the earth, that he wants to do it in your life and in my life, that we would have a testimony of the encounter of his sheer grace and love to, re to redeem and transform and heal. And that's my prayer. That's, that's what we see first in this story, that, that, that anyone can try to talk you out of something that they've not experienced firsthand. But when you've got a testimony, you can stand the onslaught of accusation. You can stand in that tension of, of, of being ridiculed and mocked and um, disbelieved that the one you claim to follow is worth anything the power of testimony. Point number two, I want, want to just draw our points really, our, our, our glance really quickly is, is, is the reality of the Pharisees and the system they were stuck in. They were so zealous for the law of God. The 613 laws weren't enough. They built laws and rules and regulations around those laws and then laws, rules and fences around those laws. They were so zealous that their vision of the kingdom was that the God of Israel would visit her people who are oppressed by, by Rome and, the, uh, and the, the superpower of their day, that if they were pure enough, if they obeyed enough, if they were morally righteous enough by, by way of the law, that then the Messiah would come and usher in uh, the, the, the eschatological kingdom, that he'd pour out his spirit, that he'd purge Israel, cleanse the, all these things. And not that any of these things in and of themselves are bad, but when Jesus shows up, we find that the airtight system that they were stuck in, like they were stuck in a system in three things, that they were convinced on who God was. And so when Jesus shows up, they have no grid for him because he's not, he's not acting like their version or vision of what they thought God should act like, who he hung out with, how he operated, that those things that they held so central to what it meant to be obedient to the law and ways of God, like Sabbath keeping, that Jesus is healing. He's not, he's not fitting nice and neat in their system. And so, number one, they, 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 they thought they, they knew for certain who God was. Number two, they thought for certain that they knew the ways in which God works. 
This man's not from God. He heals on the Sabbath. They were so confident in what they thought they knew. Like, this is the box of how God works, and this is how he has to work. And then, and then third, they were convinced on, on where God had to work. Like, this isn't, this isn't the temple. This isn't like the center of power and sort of the identity of God's covenant people. And so the, the, the who, what, where, and, and, and how, they, they had a system. And so when Jesus shows up and disrupts the system, there's, there's only two options at that point. Either your system is broken it needs fixing, it needs a wall to be broken down and extended, or it needs a room to just be eradicated, or you get the point, metaphorically. It needs a massive overhaul. It's either the system changes and you change with it, or like we see in the story, we miss out on what God is doing in and through his son, Jesus. And that's what we see here. And my goodness, friends, this is, this is why if you have a God that always agrees and affirms your beliefs and your behaviors and your attitudes and all of your actions and all of your opinions and all of your theories, and the, if you have a God that's always in agreement with you, you probably have created a cheap substitute for the God we see in Scripture and in particular revealed in Jesus. Like Jesus will purposely tweak with our systems so that we can be awakened and participate in the new thing that he's doing through his grace and his love. And so it's either you make space, you humble yourself and say, my system is broken, or you build bigger walls and say, nope, I'm convinced this is how God works, this is who God is, this is where God works and to whom he visits. The who, what, when, where, how and the why. And we see the Pharisees, they're not able to make that leap into the realm of the possibility that God just might be doing something fresh through Jesus. Friends, we do this all the time where God comes to us and he visits us and he wants to talk about that secret sin or that grudge or that bitterness. or And instead of allowing him to change the, the inner systems of our attitudes and our actions and our habits and our priorities and our practices. We just, we brush it off and we build a wall and say, no, this is, you ever heard that phrase like, I couldn't serve a God that, or why would a God like this allow fill in the blank? And we, if we're not careful, we'll create, instead of us being formed in God's image, we'll create a God formed in our image who will always agree with us, never agitate us, never convict us, never confront us with our sin. And friends, this happens rapidly in our cultural moment. But the last I checked, God is the one who's made us to embody and reflect His image. He sets the tone. He sets the timbre. He sets the, 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 um, the tune. He's the one who defines right and wrong. Truth, righteousness, goodness, beauty, and justice. It's like he made us in his image, not the other way around. So, so we can never, ever, ever um, come to a place in our walk with the Lord where we're not humble enough to, to acknowledge, man, maybe that thought, that attitude, that belief, that behavior, maybe that wasn't born in the heart or mind of God. Like we always have to hold it out that 
that our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways aren't always his ways. And, and in that posture of humility, we make space for him to break in and speak, cleanse, um, transform so that we can keep receiving the grace that, that energizes and empowers us to be the people of God. So we see in this system that, that if you read the questions in John 9, like the blind guy who's had the genuine encounter, he keeps wanting to talk about who Jesus is. The Pharisees, if they, if they open that door to entertain that God is doing something through Jesus, their system cracks, crumbles, and falls. So they just want to keep talking about surface issues. They don't want to talk about the who. Oh, come on, somebody. That we are in a cultural moment where we want a vision of the kingdom, of justice, of equity, of peace, of 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 beauty and flourishing. We want a kingdom without a king. Mark Sayers said that, right? So the, like the Pharisees, they're just interested in, in how this blind man was healed. Look, look, I mean, it's multiple questions. How did he do it? How did he do it? But every time he would answer the how, the blind man was smart enough to know they don't have a grid or room in their hearts to talk about the who that did it. And friends, this is where the church, we cannot be ashamed. We cannot bury our light under a bushel. We cannot, uh, you know, cower down in, in our confession that it is Christ that makes the difference. It is Christ and Christ alone who can save, heal, redeem, reconcile estranged enemies on whatever front. Christ alone is the one who can open blinded eyes in this moment. Christ alone is the one who can heal the gaping wounds of our nation. Christ alone and the glory of the gospel because of his suffering love and because he's triumphed over death through his crucifixion. There is hope for all of humanity. Pharisees just want to talk about how, but the blind man's like, I don't know all the theories. You look at it, he's so, he's so humble. He doesn't know. He's like, his name's Jesus. I've never seen him yet. You know, I'm healed, but I didn't see the one who healed me. That's not till the end of the story. But he knows that, that, that something about this man, something about obedience to this man's words changed his life forever. The Pharisees, their system's so airtight that when someone comes and tweaks with it, they choose their system. Because to, to confess that God can, can work in ways they didn't imagine, that, that God is up to something through this carpenter from Nazareth, this this, this rogue traveling rabbi who the crowds are wowed by. and They chose the system. And look at that. They, they, they resorted to what all of us resort to when we fail to come to repentance and faith. That Jesus is always coming to us to transform and, 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 and tweak and cleanse and, and correct our viewpoints, our beliefs and behaviors, our attitudes and actions, our character and our conduct, our priorities and our practices, that Jesus comes and he wants to continue to form and mold us into his peculiar people. But the moment we say no, this much and no further, we find ourselves resisting, resisting the grace that we actually need to thrive and overcome by faith in this, in this moment, in this hour. And look what they're resorted to. You know, when this guy in verse 32, verse 33 said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And all the Pharisees were left with because they were, they were more interested in the how than the who. 
they go back to name, shame, blame, the us versus them. You were steeped in, look at this, they use their position and culture and, and power. You're steeped in sin. You're lecturing us. They, they default to what all of us default to when we fail to receive the fresh grace and mercy that only is found and flows through Jesus. They're left with name-calling. They're left with having to build more barriers and boundaries around their position, around their systems that are broken, that are airtight, and they're convinced in the how God works and the who God works through and the where God works and the, those that are in and those that are out. They were so sure of it. And that all they're left with because they missed the grace and the truth that are found and flow through Jesus, they're left with name and shame and blame and oh beloved the church this is not our posture to name and shame and blame it's to be those people who acknowledge the ways in which we're blind who are who are learning to see and live and be radically different in the grace of christ that's point number two are you living in a system that is airtight locked against the new things that god wants to do Friends, I am convinced that this last point is, is maybe the most challenging, but I'm super hopeful of what God is up to in this hour. I want to talk about the parents. Now, uh, the parents. We know he's our son. We know that he was born blind. He's obviously our kid, but he is of age. You ask him about the rest of the details about how he can see. And friends, man, I... You know, this, I don't know why this passage hit me so hard. Maybe it's because I'm a dad of four, but they, they literally, they, they, they're willing to identify from the fringes that they know their son, but they're not willing to stand with their son in the onslaught. They're not willing to allow their system. Listen, if you were put out of, that was, that was the threat, right? If anyone acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, like the, the community leaders, these Pharisees, these these moral champions, these, these guardians of the law. Um, if you got on their bad side, you're kicked out of synagogue. And that, that's, that's not like you leaving Cornerstone and going to a different church. That, that's not even close to what it, it, it would be. Like the synagogue is the central hub of all of community life in Jesus' day. If you're kicked out of synagogue, you might as well move to another town or village. Your reputation is not just tarnished. Every, every bridge is sort of burned if you're kicked out of synagogue. There's a real cost to stand with their son. There's a real cost to stand and, and to entertain that they may not have all the answers like their son didn't have all the answers, but maybe God was doing something in and through Jesus. And maybe, maybe if they were willing to bear the stigma and the cost, they would have discovered the glory, the beauty on the other side of the cost of the stigma, of the ostracization, of the, the marginalization, of the suffering and the adversity. If they were willing to stand with their son, they would have seen on the other side of that commitment, the kingdom of God opened up before them. Place of abundance, place of purpose and eternal identity and destiny that they could never get to in the system they were stuck in. Listen, we're disciples of Moses, the Pharisees said. Friends, Moses could not get them into the promised land. They needed a Joshua, in the original language, a Yeshua. Listen, the, the, the systems, the system that they were stuck in couldn't get them into the promise that they ached and longed for. They needed Jesus, they needed grace to bring them in. 
to the fullness of what God was doing in and through his son. And I believe this is a moment we are in as a church in America, in the West, like where we're willing to step into that messy middle space where, you know, how we gather, we've had to transform that quite a bit in these last four months, like why we gather, who we gather with, unto what end, these big questions about the strat, the structure, the, the systems, the the, the, the aim, the telos of our Christian community. Like we don't have all the answers, but we st- like God is calling his church, unlike this man's parents, just say, you know, figure it out. We're going to stay comfortable in the status quo of our, of our current predictable patterns and systems. We'd rather be accepted in the community that holds the power than be willing to be even exiled to discover fresh and anew what it means to be the people of God in our time centered on, oriented around, fused and formed and filled by the person and work of Jesus Christ, soaked in his words, saturated in his spirit, given over to his kingdom purposes together. Like the church cannot be like the parents in this story in our cultural moment. It's messy. We don't have all of the answers. Listen, the reason they just wanted to know how he was healed instead of who healed him, because if they acknowledged the who, the who, they just might think, had an opinion on what it meant to be the people of God for their time. And my goodness, friends, I would rather Jesus tweak, transform, cut off, cleanse, (laughs) prune, systems of my thinking that are resisting to his grace, then hold on to my power, hold on to position, hold on to the predictability, hold on to some bygone past. I want Jesus to be able to speak a fresh word of grace. I don't want to be like the parents. I want to be a community that would step in with this blind man, born born blind from birth, who can now see because of the grace and power of Jesus. And I'd rather, listen, that invitation to become that discerning, adaptive, agile community oriented around Jesus. Friends, that's where we are in America and in the West and this COVID season and the, this political season and where, where nations are raging, foundations feel like they're cracking and they're crumbling. Like we can't just let the grace of God pass us by and choose to identify with those who have it all figured out, airtight systems and structures, but to be those people who are like, you know what, not only is he he our son, we agree, it was Jesus who changed his life. We're gonna step into that stigma. And I'm telling you, whether it's in your lifetime, my lifetime, or my kid's lifetime, there is coming a day, yea, we're already in them. Obviously, globally, many believers have been in this, this time for a long time. We're stepping in and identifying with Jesus and his kingdom will cost us something. Listen, we're in the fire of refinement. There's no debating that. This is a trial run, if you will, a legitimate trial, legitimate difficulties, legitimate adversity that we're facing in this, in this moment. But friends, the fire, no one wants to jump in the fire. But when we jump in together, if unlike his parents, we step into that messy space where acknowledging it's Jesus is going to have implications for our time, treasure, talent, how we gather, why we gather, who we gather with, what's the mission, destiny, and purpose of our lives. Like to step into that space, we have to know that Jesus is going to want to speak to all of it. Why? Because he's Lord of all. 
He wants to be Lord over all. He wants his grace and his love to infuse and fill the entirety of our shared life together so we can become that city on a hill, the salt of the earth, those people that bear witness to the rule and to the reign of King Jesus by their priorities, by their practices, together. Church, let's do it. God wants to call us into that. Whatever it would mean, we'd be willing to go on a journey of discernment and discovery, anchored in Jesus, built upon the foundation of the gospel and of, of his word. But friends, if we just sit back and say, oh, we know he's our son, we know he was born blind, but let him figure it out. Beloved, it's time for the generations to run together. It's time for young and old to link arms in the gospel and say, we can learn from history. God did this under that system. He did that under that era and that part of the world. But here we are needing to step in with fresh imaginations, with fresh hearts, baptized in the grace and love of Jesus to discern and discover together what it means to be the people of God for our time. I was just overwhelmed that his parents, it was just too much to step into that space with their son. I mean, guys, Jesus told us point blank in Matthew 10 and in other places. This is going to happen. Fathers and sons at odds, brothers, sisters and mothers. Like the gospel is sharp, it's pointy, but it's powerful to transform our lives. If instead of our airtight systems of the who, what, when, where, how, and we are the ones who shape God in our image and understanding, instead of submitting and humbling ourselves before the claims, the glory of Jesus and say, Lord, make us like those new wineskins. Dip us in the oil. That's how they would stretch them and make them and prepare them for the, for the new wine that was coming on the other side of harvest. And friends, it's time to, to enter into that space, to acknowledge those areas that perhaps our, our systems, our, our thinking, our, how the church is and how it's supposed to look and operate in this moment. Friends, there's things that will never go away like the gospel, like the centrality of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit growing and flowing, the people of God and community, confession of sin, testifying to the good news and glory of Jesus. I mean, these things aren't going anywhere, the, the Bible and prayer, but so many other things are going to require real discernment and discovery, but it's worth it. The status quo, our systems that we are Lord over, they're boring, they're crusty, they're stale. We're, we don't wanna get stuck in those things. We wanna become those people who can perceive what God is up to through Jesus and the Spirit, receive it, are rooted in it, so that we can give it away to those around them. I was blind, but now I see. I love when Jesus ends the story and he's like, do you believe in the Son of Man? This guy doesn't even have like proper, perfect theology. He's like, who is he? If you tell me who he is, I will believe in him. Again, because he had an encounter with the love and power of Jesus first. So I don't know which, which one comes first, the chicken or the egg, the, 
I just am hungry to see the power of God manifest through the gospel in our time. And then I want to be a part of being formed and helping form what it means to be the people of God who've been transformed by the power of God and who together participate in the purposes of God together. How about you? Pharisees are offended at the end. Like, are you calling us blind? He's like, you don't understand. If you confess that you are blind, I could give you sight. But because you're, you fail to acknowledge your blindedness apart from my grace, you remain blind. And this is an hour, friends, where we cannot afford to not see, to not hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches and what Jesus is doing in and through his church out into surrounding culture in our world that is desperate to know a God who can open the eyes of the blind. There's great hope. There's great hope. Jesus has so much grace, so much mercy, so much power present. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever if we'll open our hearts to receive it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for this gospel story. I thank you, Lord, for truth and for content and for doctrine. Lord, it's not one or the other, encounter versus, uh, you know, all, all the truths and theology. Lord, it's both and, but one without the other is insufficient. Lord, we will be tossed and turned if all we have is head knowledge and not heart knowledge. And Father, in all those things that are being just pumped in the airwaves that look like they could be God, look like they're right and they could be true, but Lord, if they're not anchored in the King who is Lord of heaven and earth, and Jesus, the, 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 the master, the teacher, Father, I pray that, Lord, where our heads may be susceptible to, to false truths or philosophies or ideologies, Lord, would you grip and transform us from the inside out that we would have more than just head, but Lord, the gospel would transform the entirety of our lives in the grace of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And so Lord, those systems, those airtight systems that are resisting your fresh grace and truth, would you just in your mercy lift the lid off of our hearts, off of our minds so that we can receive the new thing that you're doing in our time. And Lord, I pray anyone watching this whose eyes are blind, physically or spiritually, that the grace and truth of Jesus would open them up even now. Lord, we love you and we trust you. You're worthy of all glory, honor, power, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Read John 9 for yourself. I'd love to hear um, either on our social media or email just some insights that you got from this story as well. But bless you. We'll see you next week outdoors, 10 a.m. if you want to join us in person.